Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Listening to the Beyond Terrestrial Podcast, your one-stop shop for the outstanding, the unconventional, and the downright strange. Strap in because the boys are about to take a wild ride. I'm Funk Master B, setting up that tea for the duo of dumb foolery. Your hosts, Dan and Lee. I believe in aliens. I mean, in an infinitely growing universe, why would we be the only living species? Bigfoot, Nessie, all that stuff, it's got to be real. How are we to say that we're the only ones? It's just ignorance. I think aliens are not only from other planets, but they're time travelers. Welcome back to Beyond Terrestrial, your home for the strange, the macabre, the conspiratorial, and the all things supernatural. My name's Lee, I'm coming to you from the Haunted Barn Studios, and that is just outside of the Bell Witch's backyard. Yeah, she moved the fence on me, I'm now no longer in the Bell Witch's backyard, just to the left of it. But hey, I've got a friend, I've got a partner in crime. Dan, how you doing today? Really good, really good. Uh, I am Dan Martson, recording just down from the crossroads where Robert Johnson made his infamous deal with the devil, and he is way, way too early in the morning to do this, Lee. Way too early. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, you know, we've time stamped ourselves. We are recording in the wee hours of the morning. Dan has almost no energy because um, he is waking up. I am ready to shut down for the night because that's how we roll. Dan's waking up early for you, and I'm staying up late for you. This is uh, this is the crazy lifestyle we live. Um, what are you gonna do, Lee? You're like you're like a rock star. You're up until you know four, five, six a.m. sometimes because you're uh, you know you're like that. Party all night mm-hmm. and sleep all day. Yeah, well, you know, that's the that's the best part about being um 
near divorcee. I, I don't know. Never mind. So you just you just raging all night long. <laughs> well, you rock know, on. with enough sex, rock drugs, on, and brother. rock and roll, like you can really uh, you can really have a good time. Yes, dude. The subject of today's show is rock and roll. Yes, specifically about some people of people of the night. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. Dan. Wait, you mean rock and roll vampires? Is that what yes. you're trying to say, rock, Lee? Like some of them may be. I'm not sure. I kind of... Jim Morrison? <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> or was that like a euphemism for uh, groupies? <laughs> no, I don't know what I'm going for. Like I, I was trying to make a joke, and I didn't know where the hell it was going. I just started talking and waited to see what came out. <laughs> we're getting we're a little loopy already. Uh, we haven't even started. Yes, exactly. But hey, uh, before we get going, Lee, um, I think if there are any aspiring rock stars out there listening, uh, we will be sharing some cautionary tales today about uh, folks who joined the 27 Club. And that means they were awesome. They were rock stars. They lived it up, but they burned the candle at both ends and uh, they passed away much too soon, but somewhat suspiciously all at the age of 27. Yes. It sounds like a nightclub that everybody wants to get into, right? But it's actually like the worst possible club you could be a part of. Wait, wait, Lee. They're dying to get in. Oh. Dad joke. Dad joke. Drink. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Guys, we are talking about the... Tr- 27 club and we are specifically talking about what is it five people from the from that club yeah we picked out uh four or five we're just gonna talk for a little bit about each one um maybe go into one or two a little bit more in depth so we've we've done a little bit um but before we start talking about rock stars if you want to be a rock star if you want to sound like a rock star you guys got to get hooked up with our boys our editors over at Simple Equations Media. Yes, they are an all-media controlling people. Dan always does this plug, what? so I'm trying to improvise, and I'm doing a horrible job at it. You you make them sound all-powerful, which is great. Um, <laughs> they are they are good, but they're not Disney. Um, they're, not, they're not secretly controlling all media. Fair, fair. Um, no, they are... They are a full-service audio-video production company based in sunny Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, If you are a garage band who needs a music video, if you need something shot for your business, uh, a training video, something like that, if you're trying to break into music or TV or film, uh, the guys at Simple Equations Media have your back. Uh, They can do it all they can shoot video they can record your audio um they can edit they can take an idea from pre-production all the way through post they're good dudes uh they make us sound good so we got to give them a shout out that takes a lot to make us sound good so it's impressive yeah and uh extra today because god damn it's early in the morning (laughs) yeah yeah it is pretty bad um, Dan's hurting a little bit more than me, but I'm getting kind of loopy, ready to go. So, 
Okay. So let's uh, let's dive into it, Lee. The Twenty Seven Club. We already told folks what it is. Yes. Um, and it turns out, Lee, in my uh, in-depth research that I did for today's episode by going to Wikipedia. Oh, solid, um, solid one. You're welcome. You're welcome. Solid. Good. Uh, yeah, I'm proud. I'm proud. I was uh, going to say all 20 minutes of it, but okay. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, a little bit more than that. Um, but the thing is, the 27 Club has identified members um, going all the way back in, into the uh, ni- 19th century, the 1800s. I did not know it goes back to the 1800s. I thought it was a more modern thing. I thought, like, yeah, well, basically at the birth of rock and roll. Well, I don't know if you know this, Lee, but some of these composers back in the day were pretty rock and roll. Okay. Uh, all right. I get it. I get it. They I mean, there's stories shaking There's stories of guys who were, you know, hooking up with all of the courtesans of Europe and... Uh, I think Paganini once played his violin with like cat guts or something like that. Super metal. Um, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. Hardcore. Jeez. Um, so one of the earliest, one of the earliest members of the 27 club was a dude named Alexandre, Le- Alexandre Levy. He was a Brazilian composer. Okay. And, uh, he is considered in Brazil to be one of their great uh, musical masters. He was a prodigy, a virtuoso, um, mm-hmm. multi-instrumentalist. He was like the the dude. Um, and in the seven on the seventeenth, excuse me, on the seventeenth of January, eighteen ninety-two, he died mysteriously at the age of twenty-seven. He wow. had dinner with some friends, complained of illness, and before the doctor could even show up, boom, dead. See you later. Wow. So, to me, it's really weird with the with the whole theory of the 27 Club. It just seems like an awkward number, but I, I wonder, and I, I, I'm sure somebody's done a study, but I wonder if we were to say, ah, this many people died at 48, um, and looked for celebrities that died at 48, could we find a connection on that? Yeah, I think so. That might be one of those um, one of those uh, Bader-Meinhof sort of things again, where once something is out there and people start looking for it, um, it becomes a thing. Like, people start noticing it. Um, so, and I think... There was a period of a couple years in the 60s and early 70s uh, where this became very prominent in people's minds um, Mm -hmm. because of how many celebrities passed. And we're going to talk about them individually. But if we want to get into weird stuff, Lee, because why wouldn't we (laughs) want to get into weird stuff? Let's get to the weird stuff. I love the weird stuff. There is a member of the 27 Club who we've wanted to do a full show on, uh-huh. um, who I mentioned in my intro. You mean Robert Johnson was a part of the 27 Club? Robert Johnson, famous Mississippi blues man, part of the 27 Club. 
And I'm actually not surprised he... at that because I already knew that, but that's because I'm part of the show. So, right? Did he pass <laughs> away early because uh, he had sold his soul to the devil for the mastery of the blues guitar? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I'm not saying any of the celebrities we are about to talk about have sold their soul to Satan. But that's <laughs> but what this theory kind of prevails, right? They were all they were all extremely skilled, mm-hmm. and uh, they all didn't make it past 27. So what are you going to do? And it turns out in some cases they have uh, some pretty unique little connections to each other so mm-hmm. we'll we will dive into the 27 club our selected celebrities and how they could all be connected after we take a quick break All right, guys, welcome back to Beyond Terrestrial. We're sitting down to discuss a few of the prominent members of the 27 Club, not ones that you might have heard of recently, more of ones that were kind of significant in the era. era. So I'm going to throw this back over to Dan so he can tell us a little bit more about, who was it again? So the first member of the 27 Club that I want to discuss is Brian Jones. Brian was a founding member of the Rolling Stones. Good rock band, Mick Jagger. Yep, I got I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Jagger, Richards. Uh that's really um what most people think of now. Of course, you know, Jagger being the front man, of co- a lot of people mm-hmm. would come up with that. Um, but it turns out, Lee, Brian Jones was actually the driving force behind the Stones. He recruited Mick Jagger for the band. Oh, wow. Wow. So he was kind of the the lead guy for it. Yeah. I mean, like I say, he was the driving force. He wasn't a front man. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't really a singer, but he recruited Mick. Um, he got the band together, essentially. Um, and of course, Mick brought along uh, Keith Richards with him. Um, so yeah, I mean that's how how it happened. Um, Brian was an extremely talented multi instrumentalist, um, much like uh, Prince. Later on, people are familiar with Prince, uh, like mm-hmm. playing all the instruments. Um, Brian Jones could uh, play the guitar. Most most of what you hear in the stones music is him doing guitar but he did um he did sitar he did he even played the recorder like <laughs> he played That's on awesome. the records like he played all kinds of stuff he played the kazoo the mellotron like um saxophones uh clarinet i think he was um he was taught classically on the clarinet in school like just all kinds of stuff like that he played everything so extremely talented. His uh, his father was like a piano teacher and a doctor. Like they, he's from a very musical family. So there you go. I mean, he just had a ton of musical skill. Mm-hmm. He was a big fan of the blues. Okay. And if you go back and you listen to the early Stones, you can hear that influence. 
Um, he named the band. Wow. So he basically yeah, the, was the Rolling Stones. Like he was. He he was like I said. He was a driving force behind uh, what became the Rolling Stones, and uh, the story of how he named the band is kind of crazy. They got a call from uh, like a venue owner to to get booked for a gig, and he was like, "Okay, what are you guys called?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> and no, they didn't have an answer. Um, and it just so happens they had an album like uh, the best of muddy waters or something like that mm-hmm. that was laying on the ground and one of the songs is uh you know like a rolling stone or something like that and he picked it up and was like that's it or rolling stone blues or something like that is the song title he's uh-huh. like we're the rolling stones nice so and it was uh I, it was for a while rolling stones without the g but um, the G's better. I think it's better with the G. Yeah, I think it is too. Rolling Stones sounds a little too hip. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's just a little. It's honestly easier just to have it with the G. I think it's easier to remember. Um, so some other notable like musical things that he did uh with the Stones. He taught Mick Jagger how to play harmonica. Oh, wow. Yeah, there you go. Um, so he kind of created the, the Stones guitar sound along with Keith Richards. Um, Richards calls it the ancient art of weaving. Uh, what they would do is they'd kind of both play rhythm and lead. Okay. And they'd weave the guitars together, um, the different sounds. So, like this was all this was all developed with Jones, and it's part of the Stones' sound today. Okay. So, one of the longest-lasting rock bands mm-hmm. in the history of the world, which is crazy that the rest of them haven't died early <laughs> with the rock star lifestyles they live. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Some of them, it's just like, wow, how are you still alive? <laughs> Dude, okay, all right. This is this is not a Brian Jones story, uh, but you know Keith Richards snorted his dad's ashes, right? Yes. With a line of coke mixed oh. it together. Pow. Well, yeah. he's staying close Rock stars. Rock stars. So... So, yeah, like, this sound is uh, famous, um, and some of his musical contributions also included um, the guitar riff in Paint It Black. What? Yeah, yeah that's part That's part of uh, what he helped the Stones lay down. So there's all kinds of early Stones music, all the way up to, like, Jumpin' Jack Flash, where he was uh, very involved but Lee, of course, you know, things uh things can't work out if you're in the 27 club. No, they've got to end early, right? Yeah, yeah. So <sighs> he became estranged from the band over a period of time. Uh he was always a loner. He was always a nonconformist, even in school. Um there's something odd about folks who are uh this talented um 
you know, Prince was always, uh, you know, bit of a bit of an odd guy. Um, this, Brian Jones also just, you know, put people off, wasn't very social. Um, and in a group setting, it would often make him a target of uh, ridicule. And a, uh, a big moment, a watershed moment, uh, came in March of 1967 when his girlfriend, Anita Pallenberg, left him for Keith. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. They were... They were on a vacation in, like, Morocco or some shit. <laughs> and she ditched him for the other guitarist. Ooh, there's a connection there, like a big one. Ooh, see? This, Ooh. Is, this is a good one. We'll save, we'll circle back. So, so yeah, this, uh, this moment in 67, um started driving jones deeper and deeper into substance abuse which i mean they they were already doing i mean they were already yeah drunk doing drugs right um but now he's kind of gone off the deep end a little bit so uh, a number of drug busts were to follow um so well but in march he got dumped in june lee 1967 he had a bit of a crossover with some other members of the 27 club okay he attended the monterey pop festival in monterey california uh which was a watershed moment in the career of two other 27 clubbers um janice joplin who really broke out at monterey okay and yeah. He introduced Jimi Hendrix at the Monterey Pop Festival. Oh, wow. Hendrix famously comes out, shreds. Mm -hmm. um, people are blown away in the United States. They've never heard uh, what he's doing with feedback and the whammy bar on his guitar, like, just kills it. And at the end of Hendrix's set at Monterey, he pours lighter fluid over his guitar okay. and burns it on stage, right? And that picture of him burning that guitar at Monterey is famous. Yeah. It's either So Yeah. No, I can get I get with you on that. Huge moment where Jones crosses over to these uh other other famous twenty seven clubbers. Yes. So back in England, he had, uh, like after Monterey, he had multiple drug busts for, you know, possession, um, driving infractions, like he wrecked a motorcycle into a plate glass window, <laughs> like all, all kinds of stuff. Dude was on a, a destructive, uh, downhill spiral and it, um, when it came time for the Stones to tour for their next album, uh, which was Let It Bleed, um, they couldn't get a work permit to bring him to the United States. He had been busted for drugs so many times <laughs> that, he, that they weren't going to allow him back in the U.S. Um, 
And so this was this is only a couple years after Monterey. This is uh, June eighth, nineteen sixty nine. Um, the the Stones kicked him out of the band. They went to his house. They got together and said, "Hey, you know, we're gonna keep touring. You can't come with us. So, bye." Yeah, that sucks. Mm-hmm. But at the same time. So, I mean, they were kind of right. Yeah, I mean, what are you going to do, right? Um, You you got this. And so the thing is, the Stones, um, Brian Jones loved the blues, right? That was his thing. He wanted the band to keep doing blues songs. Um, But the songwriting duo of... Richards and Jagger mm-hmm. was very lucrative. Um, and, you know, they own the songs, so they're not playing covers. There's actually more money in, you know, mm-hmm. writing your own music. Yeah. And they wanted they wanted to promote Jagger. He's the front man and very flamboyant. So the Jagger-Richards combo was kind of out front. Uh, and brian jones and the direction that he wanted the band to go uh, well that was that was fine early on but they had kind of moved past uh what he was doing musically well and what i just see is from the band's point of view i mean there's they're touring there this guy's already been a bit of a problem um and now he's creating a something where we we either wait around until he can get his crap together and you know get things going again or we move on to a new person that can keep us driving forward you've got to go with that kind of thought process so if he can't get into yeah. the, if he can't get into the country then their tours out the window right unless they replace yeah, totally him. so yeah um and you know to the stones credit they gave him uh, sort of the the lead on this. They're like, hey, however you want to put it out to the public why you're leaving the band, like, go ahead and, and do that. And so he put out a statement, you know, we're going different directions, blah, blah, blah. And that's how it was sold to the public. Like, it was just, you know, a mm-hmm. musical split. Um, but there was a lot of other stuff oh, uh, yeah. behind it, these legal issues. Um So, June 8th, 1969, uh, he gets kicked out of the Stones, and in the wee hours of July 3rd, uh, not even a month later, he's he's not not with us anymore, and he's in the 27 Club. So, it didn't take long, Lee. Um, Now, the... There's some interesting things about the death of Brian Jones. He died at an estate in East Sussex called Cotchford Farm. Cotchford Farm. Uh, the Cotchford Farm, Lee, had another famous owner uh, before Brian Jones, a one A.A. Milne. Do you know the, the works that A.A. Milne is famous for, Lee? No, no, I no, I don't. Uh, well, a lot more wholesome than uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Is it Little House A. on the Prairie? A. Milne, 
close, very close. A.A. A. Milne wrote Winnie the Pooh. Oh, wow. That's very wholesome. Yeah. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, well, around around midnight, um, sometime, like I said, probably on January uh, July 3rd, uh, Jones was found motionless in the swimming pool by his Swedish girlfriend, Anna Wolin. And they called the ambulance. Um, but she she was convinced he was still alive, even though he was found unresponsive in the swimming pool, not moving at all. Um, he was declared dead on arrival at the hospital. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So that was it. Um, his the the inquest or whatever the medical examiner declared this is this is such a british euphemism lee i can't even believe they put this on people's death certificate the cause of death for brian jones death by misadventure <laughs> wow Wow. Yeah, if that's what you call getting really high and falling into a swimming pool, uh, yeah, I guess misadventures, right. <laughs> wow, it makes it sound like, oh my, like a, like it should be an ep- an episode of Winnie the Pooh, like <laughs> the misadventures <laughs> of Tigger and Piglet. <laughs> right. It sounds. It sounds very, like I said, very British. What a euphemism. Yes. Um, oh, bother. Only the British could come up with that. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was just a misadventure. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, th- I mean, that's the story, Lee. That's what happened to poor Brian Jones and how he became a member of the 27 Club. Um, but I would be remiss if I neglected the murder theory. Murder? Murder. Murder. So, it turns out that a dude named Frank Thorogood uh, was uh, a builder, a contractor, who had done some work at Cotchford Farm. Uh, He was paid like 18,000 pounds for all this work that he did out there at the estate. Um, but he wanted more money from, from Jones. So there is a theory that he went out there trying to get like 6,000 more pounds and uh, did the dirty deed and Jones ended up in the pool dead. Hmm. It just felt like you were reaching, Dan. Like, it just felt like that story is, like, a little bit of a reach. Yeah, um, well, some journalists have done some uh, in-depth work on this. He was, uh, I believe, the last person seen at the house with Jones. So there's some, there is some legit stuff in there. Mm -hmm. Um, Could it ever be proven? Uh, Maybe not. The problem is... Uh, the police in Sussex have gone and reviewed the case and they're like, oh no, this is, this is just fine. Yeah, that that's right. Death by misadventure. Totally. 
of there's there's a theory that uh maybe this wasn't investigated properly uh at the time that it happened and the police are covering up some of the evidence uh of their either a bungling or uh b knowledge that this might have actually been a crime and they just failed to um bring the evidence forward or recognize the evidence that this was a crime fair um i guess that's fair i don't know to me like the the story as it is is like it's easy to believe that he just got really high and fell into the pool like yeah i mean right <laughs> I mean, you on the one hand you're like oh well maybe they did bungle it but on the other, it just seems so obvious when you show up, mm -hmm. uh, this person who has a history of drug abuse, who has drugs in their system, uh, could, you know, take too much, drink too much, fall into the pool. Not be capable of getting himself back out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, on the one hand, it seems so cut and dry. On the other, you're like, oh, well. This would be a great way to cover up a crime, right? Yeah. My issue is it does imply, and I mean, I guess there is something to be said about that, like why they wouldn't, why the police would want to hide it. But my issue is you're banking on the police bumbling the, the investigation, right? That was... That was the only thing there that I thought was a little strange because, I mean, even currently, if a, if they op reopen an investigation in the U.S. and they find that somebody did commit murder, they can convict that person of murder. Yeah, there is no statute of limitations on murder. That is true. I would guess that it's very similar in England. I know they've got a lot of crazy laws like spitting... Yeah, no, and they did, like I said, they did recently review the case. It was in, uh, oh, oh, shoot, I didn't write that down in my notes. It was in the, the 2010s, like, uh, you know, 2015-ish sort of era. So That's kind of what I'm talking about, have, though. Like, even then, yeah. wouldn't they want to seek justice for the situation? Well, the problem is now, if it was bungled back in the, back in 69, um this many years separated from the event it would be very hard to prove that something yeah. happened especially if there isn't a complete record like there should be oh fair fair so all right anyways lee that is brian jones and uh tendrils towards some of our other celebrities some of our other 27 clubbers yes yes guys I'm here to tell you tonight about um, Jimi Hendrix. Hendrix was a virtuoso at the guitar. Um, what you said about Bob... Who was it again? I apologize. Brian Jones. Brian, Brian Jones. Jones. I almost said Bob Dylan, and I realized that I was wrong. What you said about um, Brian Jones, it's tenfold but specified on the guitar with Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix bursts onto the scene and changes the whole way that people play. Um, famous rockers actually say that there is 
they they do rock for before and after Jimi Hendrix because he changed the game. Unfortunately, he liked to burn real hot. Um, Hendrix was Hendrix was known to be a heavy drinker. Um, he loved acid. Um, funny enough, Hendrix was the nicest person in the world. He had the most opening smile. Nobody like nobody could hate this guy. But when he got when he got drunk, he got mean um, to the point mm. where there's assault um, situations between him and his girlfriends. But other drugs he really liked, particularly heroin, heroin and acid. Um, and this got him into trouble quite a bit. There's several situations where his him being into drugs got him into trouble. The number one, which is interesting because he also claims to contemplate how long he's got to live at that situation, is landing in Canada and getting, um, basically getting caught with a bunch of drugs. Um, Now, the crew and the the plane knew, and this is what the, like, the really weird part about this is. They knew, Hendrix knew about having, or about them be waiting for um, the or the Canadian police waiting for them at the tarmac to search them for drugs. So they knew, and they went around and they told everybody, and everybody you know one by one went to the bathroom, flushed their drugs, right? Um, And it comes back around, and the uh, their their manager comes back to Hendrix, and he's like, "Hey, are you straight?" Hendrix says yes. He's got nothing on him. Right? They land. They get stopped. They get searched. Out of Hendrix's bag, a glass vial and a um basically evidence of drug paraphernalia come out. Hendrix doesn't know where that came from. He doesn't understand he doesn't think he doesn't know that it came from um, potentially came from the girl he was with the night before, and and this comes from his autobiography. Essentially, they they were well, not autobiography, but biography. Police catch him; they're his. Honestly, he was probably just high and forgot that they were in there. Um, most likely scenario for me. But hmm. this bust, this is crazy. This is like how things were in the seventies. Where the flight crew would just be like, hey, guys, uh, ditch all your drugs <laughs> before we <laughs> land. Um, thank you for flying the friendly skies, <laughs> you know, like, like we're all cool here, right? Like you could smoke on the plane and shit. And they were like, all right, let's all be cool. Let's all be cool. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> all right, guys, we're going to land. The cops are going to be there. Be cool. Be cool, guys. Be cool. <laughs> Ain't no thing. I, I believe it was a private flight. Um, was the gist that I kind of got of it. But even as a private flight, okay. it seems a little crazy, right? Yeah, dude. So Hendrix gets busted, and at that time, um, he ends up. The biggest things he's worried about is whether or not he's going to be able to play the show that night. Well, they get lucky. The detective that um, that comes in basically says 
hey, my kids got tickets to the show. I'm going to let you play before we arrest you. Nice. <laughs> so basically, they play, then they then he goes to jail. He ends up spending a couple nights in jail, um, and then he comes back to the U.S., um, and he's got a court date for nine, or for nine months later. At that time, he had remarked to somebody that uh, he didn't know if he'd make it to that nine-month mark, and he didn't. Mm, that sucks, man. Um, it's crazy how these guys have a sense of foreboding uh, about their lives sometimes. You know, Abraham Lincoln famously had foreboding. Mm-hmm. Um, and a guy like Hendrix, who's so well-liked, who's so talented... Um, I, he just, he knows he's burning the candle at both ends. So yeah, that's crazy. Um, I think it's crazily, uh, Hendrix, uh, you know, has a bit of a connection out in the, uh, Clarksville area. He after does. After he was in the army. He does. Um, um so props, props to the Bell Witch's backyard. Yes. Uh, Hendrix was a member of the, uh, 101 Screaming Eagles, Eagles. Um, our local um, army base, Fort Campbell, is where they come from, where they hail from. And uh, he was actually uh, a member of that. So that was kind of a cool little thing to learn today. Yeah, I, I found that out. Um, and they they did a bunch of gigs after he got out of the army. He was based out of Clarksville. Mm-hmm. They did gigs all over Middle Tennessee. So, yeah, um, you know, Hendrix often associated with... Uh, the Seattle area, right? Yeah. Because uh, that's where he was born and that's where uh, he's buried. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, he he was all over it. Uh, oh, we went to the, um, the Museum of Pop there in Seattle and they had a great exhibit about his time in London, which is where he ended up, uh, you know, passing away eventually. Yeah. So it's really interesting, though. His life had ups and downs. At one point, he gets um, literally kidnapped because of his drug problem. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. So Hendrix had a pretty crappy show. Um, He's not happy with how the show went. And he goes out front, meets a couple of guys, gets in their car, rides home with them, and then gets kidnapped by these two guys. What? Can you with the promise of drugs, Dude, right? Like the the 60s, man. You could be a rock star, finish your set and just like get in a car with some random people from the audience like, "Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> let's get some acid, bro." The best part is that didn't ruin Jimi Hendrix's idea. He does the he takes he meets a stranger in Seattle, gets a ride around town in Seattle um, by a random kid because he wants to show his girlfriend around where he grew up. <laughs> yeah, dude. What a, what, so cool. Like, honestly, could you imagine going to some of these shows back in the day um, where you pay like $5 for a ticket um, and see some of the greatest rock acts that have ever been right yeah i mean the 60s and 70s that was peak and you could just be high off your mind Mm -hmm. um because everyone had drugs 
Yes. <laughs> um, it could be totally psychedelic. It could be, I mean, these experiences people could have back in the day. I mean, there's there's nothing comparable to it this day and age. Nothing. No, not really. Um, it's, yeah, you don't have those experiences. You don't have the Woodstocks, which was one where uh, Hendrix, Morrison, and Janice all played at Woodstock. So. Yep, they, they cross over, man, these 27 clubbers. So the crossover that I wanted to talk with you about real quick um, actually is in relation to Mick Jagger. So your poor man had his girlfriend stolen by Mick Jagger. Yep. Or by Keith Richards, actually. Keith Richards. Yeah, oh, Keith. yeah. I think that ruins it because... Mr. It still Hen- works, man. Mr. Hendrix stole Mick Jagger's girlfriend, and then she had then was then berated because she or she got kicked off the tour because he found her found her dating Mick Jagger. So like shit. He he's all right. Let me let me let's straighten this out. So. He stole Mick's girlfriend and then she went back to him or no, 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 he no. was Sorry. dating her and then she went to Mick. Okay. okay. Yeah. So she was with Mick Jagger. Jimi Hendrix stole her from Mick Jagger and then Mick Jagger did something to blackball her because she was with a black man and then like talked a whole bunch of shit about her. Ooh. Rough, dude. Dude. Hey, you know, we are finding out very much more and more in the news recently, uh, you know, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, uh, the UK, still a little racist. Just a bit. <laughs> Just a bit. Um, but, you know, not like not like their cousins over here across the pond. Yeah, I mean, we're so <laughs> much more progressive than they are. It's it's yeah, there's there's is a little bit different, a little more stuffy and traditional, I think. Uh but whatever, British people. <laughs> yeah. So Hendrix gets kidnapped. Hendrix also gets pressure. Oh, he gets kidnapped and saved by the mob because, surprise, surprise, um, Hendrix's, what's his name? His producer, his agent, is in with the mob. But by in with the mob, meaning he owes the mob a bunch of money. Oh, there you go. Well, he won't be able to pay him back if his client doesn't do a gig. Yes. Yes, that's pretty much what it is, right? So the mob b- busts Hendrix out. Keeps it on the keeps it under wraps, never goes out, never gets out there that Hendrix got kidnapped and um then was ra- saved by the mob, basically. Um, in so, fact, nobody knows that Hendrix got kidnapped. That's a, that's a great uh, little story. So how did uh, so how did our man Jimmy, the world's greatest left-handed guitarist, uh, end up in the infamous Twenty Seven Club? Well, it starts out with uh, one of his girlfriends um, having a bunch of barbiturates. Um, to help her sleep. So the moral of the story is, like, 
we we found Brian Jones found by his girlfriend. Yes. Jimi Hendrix. Uh, not found, found by his dead. girlfriend. Oh, really? No, found by his agent. Ooh. I believe it's agent. But the but it wasn't the last person uh, he was with was supposed to be the girlfriend. Yes, the girlfriend got up at like two a.m. and just left. So claimed uh, to the moral not of the story know is, any, what happened to him. Claimed to think he was don't a, don't have a girlfriend. <laughs> may, might be a might be a good point. Yeah. If you want to rock and roll all night and party every day, don't have a girlfriend. That might be a good idea. Might be great. Smart. So Hendrix. Uh, According to the official story, washed a bunch of barbiturates, like a small handful of barbiturates, down with uh, some red wine. Interesting thing to note, there was red wine on Hendrix's collar and all over his clothes, in his hair. There was red wine in his mouth and throat. But guess where there wasn't any red wine? In his stomach? Yeah, there wasn't any wine in his stomach. Ooh. So. But uh, but wasn't he, uh, like, vomiting? That's the that's the official M.E. thing, like he asphyxiated on, on vomit? Uh, yes. Or he was maybe killed by the mob because his agent had a $2 million... Um, life insurance policy on him. Right. And it sounds very fishy with this whole girlfriend, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she she just happens to have all these sleeping tablets that you can take, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it says on there he took something like 18 times the recommended dosage. Yeah. I'm just like, okay. It was like like, nine pills, and it was like, yeah, 18 times the recommended dosage, meaning those pills were supposed to be split in half, people. (laughs) Yeah, it seems seems a little bit like um, either A, just total disregard, which is possible. I mean, rock stars, you know, or B, uh, he didn't know really what he was taking and mm-hmm. maybe the girlfriend the girlfriend should have known mm-hmm. or or see she did know and uh you know let him let him to his death yeah well according to the official story the girlfriend had left the room went to bed apparently when he took those pills supposedly mm-hmm. supposedly now there's also accusations that he may have been killed due to racist apathy by the EMTs or the paramedics that whatever they would call themselves at that time. Oh right, cuz he was still cuz he was still alive when he was found. So, but he was unresponsive, right? Yes, supposedly. Mm-hmm. So there's accusations that he was alive and awake uh, when they left. Because he, he supposedly was woken up by the um, by the EMTs. Mm. Possible, possible. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, weird medical issues that can go on, and I mean, especially in this 
touch and go situation. Yeah. Right. Any any delay, any thing overlooked. Mm-hmm. But here's yeah. here was the accusation that they did not help him. All they did was wake him up and then drive him to the hospital. Not the nearest hospital. They drove on to the next hospital and mm. um, supposedly didn't do anything to help him to keep him alive. Wow. Once again, that's an interesting story, interesting accusation. Is it believable? Yeah, I mean, racism was a real thing back then. I guess it's believable. Um, I can't put my head in those people's heads, but my guess would be yes. Um, is it the most likely story? Again, I'm not sure. Well, and you never know. Um, we've talked about stories where, like, a perfect storm of conditions come together. Yeah. Right? So it could be... Um, you know, ignorance on the part of the girlfriend or, uh, you know, some kind of deliberate inaction mm -hmm. from her. It could be, uh, you know, these EMTs show up, uh, rock star, you know, ODing or whatever. Maybe they think he's not as bad. If you said he was awake, maybe they don't realize how serious his condition is. Um, mm -hmm. or they just don't care. Okay. Um, so these these combinations of factors can sometimes lead to the worst possible result. Yeah, and I think that that's definitely a possibility. Um, and the thing with the red wine in the stomach, the accusation is that the red wine was forced down his throat um, by the mobsters when they were cho or when they were killing him, basically. Hmm. Seems seems like it might be a stretch, but. I mean, you never know. We had a murder theory in the case of Brian Jones. So who knows? Maybe. Maybe this is uh, part of it, this rock star lifestyle. Well, Lee, we are, we are pushing on an hour. We've just talked Hendrix, who we love. We talked Brian Jones. We've got more 27 clubbers coming up, but we should take a quick break. All right, break time. And we're back. We have been talking the 27 Club. Me and Lee each did one of our favorite 27 Clubbers. Um, he ta was talking Hendrix. I was doing Brian Jones from the Stones. Some other infamous 27 Clubbers. Um, Jimi Hendrix passed away September 18th, 1970. Uh, October 4th, 1970, he was quickly followed uh, into the 27 Club by Ms. Janice Joplin. Yes. Um, I think this is a, a big moment in the 27 Club for them to both uh, pass away so close to each other. I think that coupled with Jim Morrison would be the... Because Jim Morrison wasn't much later. It was, I, I think, in 69. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so he actually... So they died... Uh, Jop Janice died October 4th, 1970. Um, Jim Morrison died July 3rd, 1971. Get this, Lee. Two years to the day after Brian Jones. 
Wait. So Brian Jones, like all of this happened. Brian Jones, Hendricks, Joplin, Morrison within a two-year time frame? Two years. Yep. It, it's easy to get that connection, like to think that there's some sort of thing there, right? Right. And I think this is part of how the 27 Club became a thing. You just have <clears throat> four huge rockers all pass away within two years, all at the same age. Yeah, and seemingly, well, I'm, I don't know, maybe a little bit here and there for, uh, for whether Hendrix or Joplin were bigger. I would argue Hendrix was a little bigger, but it almost seems like a, a progression in prominence because, um, because Morrison, Morrison was the biggest one, right? Yeah, I mean, he was he was a huge front man. Yeah, I mean, he was the Lizard King. Mm-hmm. He's on TV. He um, he said he said higher on Ed Sullivan. People lost it. They're like, oh my god, he said higher on TV. <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, so when the Doors were on Ed Sullivan, he did. Uh, they were gonna do "Come On Baby, Light My Fire," mm-hmm. and one of the lyrics is "Girl, we couldn't get much higher." It was oh. supposed to be changed for US TV. He said, screw that. We're doing it. <laughs> he just did it. Oh, they talked about getting high on TV. This is the 70s. So <laughs> 60s and 70s. That was Fair. crazy. Fair. Um, but yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Janice is a crazy case because her and Jimmy are at Monterey and both have their big breaks at the same festival. Right? Yes. Um, her, her group, Big Brother and the Holding Company, got signed to their record deal after Monterey. Really? Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, they they both were at Woodstock. I mean, it, this I, huge moments. I think it was at Monterey where um, Janice kind of transitioned from being kind of uh, an add-on tambourine player to actually being the front front woman of the band. Yeah, well, like I said, uh, her sound is, her voice is so unique and um, really, it, they really exploded onto the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but she like wasn't originally the front person. Like, she yeah. uh, just got, kind of got, that's how they got big was when they, like, put her out there in front. So Yeah, and someone heard her at this festival and was like, that's it. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Sign them. Boom. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, you're talking about like three years a little bit more from monterey to when janice passes away so very quick Mm -hmm. uh like a shooting star um and she was actually found dead in a hotel room like jimmy Mm -hmm. um but hers was in la uh from an apparent heroin overdose um her case is weird because people saw her like at the front desk and stuff like that of the hotel after she had allegedly taken this heroin. So most people when they OD, you know, it's like you shoot up and then you keel over, mm-hmm. right? Um cuz that heroin's going straight into your vein, right? It's right into your system. Um but there are cases where you know, people can be up and around um before it uh, before it takes them. Um, and the case of Joplin's really weird because uh, several 
of the other, uh, shall we say, customers mm-hmm. of her of her dealer in L.A. all died on the same weekend. Oh. Hmm. Well, that so just sounds like a bad batch. Yeah, exactly. She got some bad drugs. Um, it was either stronger than they all anticipated or, cut or it was cut with something that, uh, yeah, that in fact poisoned them all, essentially. Yeah. So um, her case is her case is really tragic that way. Um, you know, when you get into drugs, man. Yeah, that's that's a risk you take. Um, and then, you know, Morrison, the Lizard King um the one of the coolest guys ever to be in the 27 club um found dead uh in a bathroom by his girlfriend from an apparent heroin overdose wow uh i mean yeah so there you go i mean it's all very similar um he was actually in uh paris france <laughs> hmm. that's interesting so, um, his his girlfriend Pamela uh, Corson, C O U R S O N, I think Corson, um, found him found him dead there in Paris. His grave's still in Paris. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, Morrison's grave's over there. Um, it is uh, visited very often by uh, tourists and that sort of thing. Um, so it is a, a pilgrimage site for fans of the doors mm-hmm. um but his girlfriend get this lee uh who found jim morrison dead passed away three years later at the age of 27 wow yeah i know right wow it's all it's all connected lee all connected so Wild and crazy. Talking about Jim Morrison reminded me of one more thing I want to say about Hendrix. There is a funny story of Jim Morrison basically hanging on Hendrix's leg, screaming Jimmy, um, while Hendrix is playing a solo. So, um, and then ends up getting up and like out of tune and out of sync with the music, um, just starts singing, takes the mic and yeah, it. Yeah, completely fucked out of his head. Um, Jim Morrison just being drunkenly hung on to Jimi Hendrix's leg. And that was an entertaining thought for me. Like, I thought it was funny. Rock stars, man. Back in the at a day, show. They could do anything. At a show, <laughs> they're doing that. Dude, so crazy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, these they all intersect. Um, now, when it comes to the Dorsley... What's what's one of your favorites? Do you have any? Oh, uh, the the Doors. Um, you know they got the Val Kilmer movie and everything mm-hmm. like that. I think uh, the Doors are probably one of the most recognized. I should say Jim Morrison, one of the most recognized members of the Twenty Seven Club. Yeah. Um. So what what do you think? What's some of your favorite of their works? Ah, uh, Dan, I kind of hate you for this one because you're going to make me sound unintellectual. Like I, I play the drums and I'm a musician, but I could not name a Doors song. I like "L.A. Woman." "L.A. Woman" gets me every time. Um, so yeah, I mean, crazy stuff. Um, oh, talk about crossovers. 
Jim Morrison wrote a poem for Brian Jones after he died. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. And they dedicated shows to uh, Brian Jones. Oh, wow. After he had passed away. So, um, like, it's it's a thing. Like, there was this crossover. Morrison was uh, famously a poet. Mm-hmm. Um, he would... He would do spoken word poetry like during the shows uh, while the band played behind him. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure he probably delivered uh, his, his uh, poem about Brian Jones to audiences after uh, he passed away. So, and then just a few years later became a member of the 27 club himself. Yes. It, it's a crazy so. thing. And, and when you look at it, there, there are some things like, Wow, um, all these people died at the age of 27. I have to go back to, is it possible you take any subset of the ages and you can find a bunch of people that have died by it? Were they all rock stars? There's my question. Yeah, um, maybe. I, I bet I bet there's a famous like uh, 67 club of old rock stars, too. <laughs> uh, we just don't know about it. Um, but the thing is, the 27 Club has persisted to this day. Yeah. Um, we have some modern examples of the 27 Club. Amy Winehouse. Big one. Probably the most famous, famous most recent. Um, um, Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger was 27? I'm pretty sure. Look at look that up, because I'm, I'm not so sure. It wasn't in the list that I saw, but Are you sure? maybe my list was about... Uh, mostly focused on rock stars um well no because actually in my list i have an actor here uh anton yelchin oh yeah you told me about him yes he played um chekov in the new star trek movies in the jj abrams uh, he was reboot. 28 ah uh, see see doesn't always happen that way 27 club um, but the story, you know, I actually looked at the story for, uh, Anton Yelchin, uh, very crazy. The story of his passingly, um, he, he didn't show up for a rehearsal. And so they went to go look for him mm-hmm. and he was found pinned, uh, by his, by his Jeep to the brick wall of the gate at his house um it appeared that he had stopped the vehicle to like go close the gate or something like that and it rolled back and uh pinned him to the wall and he passed away wow i know just a crazy like one in a million accident um but then you look at that and then you start thinking is this some final destination kind of shit right like (laughs) i know right um you you would think it actually turns out um Fiat Chrysler got sued for all of this uh the parent company of Jeep um they they knew that these Jeeps had rollback issues and uh there was a recall on them after this incident Oh wow and uh Yelchin's family sued the company and they settled out of court that's crazy. It's mm-hmm. really crazy. 
So that's one of those weird things, man. Like the 27 Club has a weird way of creeping up. It's not always, uh, you know, drugs and alcohol and rock and roll. No, not always. Um, I would argue Anton Yelchin, you know, did not burn like as bright as um, those rock stars, though. Yeah, definitely not as uh, not as huge, not as famous. Um, but like the the thing is, it still persists to this modern day. Um, you know, a, a figure like Amy Winehouse, uh, who was who famously did not want to go to rehab. She said, no, no, no. Um, <laughs> like. <laughs> oh. You okay over there? No, bro? I'm dying. I'm dying. That made me laugh a little too hard. Oh. Um, but no, I'm just, you can, you can kind of see that coming. Um, but it also, it also pops up in, uh, you know, modern examples. You know, people these days, they're not as into, um, you know, heroin and acid and uh, living that 60s rock star life. I'm sure there's a few out there who live it up, but it's just not quite the same. No, I, I think that it's not. It's not quite. Um, you see the uh, you see the evolution of rock stars that survived out of it and how so many of like like how more and more people survived longer um, as the uh, as the rock star lifestyle is kind of morphed a little bit. Um, you've got your people like Ozzy Osbourne um, that shouldn't be alive, but yeah, right. R Keith Richards, who is probably like embalmed yeah. internally with all the chemicals he took in. Yes. Keith Richards. Yeah. Just there are, some of these ones that you're just like, wow, how did you survive? Um, but you see more of those as you start getting um, later and later, right? Like you see more of the ones that you're like, wow, they burned bright, but they didn't die off. I don't know. Maybe I'm just crazy. Yeah, I think, uh, like I say, times they are a changing, right? That's a rock. That's mm -hmm. a rock star line. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so... And for the better, thank goodness, um, people know what all this stuff does and the long-term effects. Um, you know, right now, you've got a whole bunch of rock stars, uh, and, like, the biggest thing they're into maybe is, like, Molly and weed, right? Um, not quite the same as the drugs people got in the, in the 60s. Well, in theory, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Alcohol's still there, so, but yeah, and uh, I guess, uh, gosh, what are some other uh, famous rockers, pop stars? Uh, probably one of the biggest ones that I could think of. Not a member of the Twenty Seven Club um, that you know went a little too hard. Might be like Whitney Houston. Yeah, Whitney Houston went pretty hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not a 27 clubber. Yeah. Um, and then, you, you know, we just had uh, Amy Winehouse. That was only a, a few years ago. Yeah. Um, Could you argue that are, like uh, like a, uh, oh, what's her name? Um, Lindsay Lohan, maybe? 
Oh, but she's way older than 27 now. Oh, no, I'm not saying that she she's... passed it. And she's still alive. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that she died. I was just saying that she went hard. Yeah, I mean, true. I mean, it's... Like I said, people... Uh, I, th- I think people are more willing to go to, uh, you know, rehab and stuff now. It's it's sort of accepted in celebrity circles that you eventually go to rehab, right? <laughs> hey, some people do a really good job of it. Like Steve-O? Like, have you seen some of his... Yeah, dude. Props to that dude. Yeah. yeah. Seriously, yeah. And his recovery. Yeah. Um, so... It is, it's something that is different in this modern age where we're more willing to talk about uh, substance abuse and mental health. Um, Ooh, Robert Downey Jr.? It, that, oh, yeah. Props to um, RDJ. Um, I was actually just watching, right before we started this, I was watching um, Charlie Bartlett, a movie that featured Anton Yelchin. Mm-hmm. Um, just to remember that, that. That was one of the first movies where I really recognized... Uh, him as an actor and he stood out to me um i had forgotten that rdj was in the movie i was like oh yeah here we go yeah um so it's just uh the 27 club is is evolving as we are evolving but i'm sure it will uh raise its tragic specter uh sometime in the future and we'll all go oh 27 of course wait a minute okay what if the 27 club did exist right when we lost four rockers in two years right that was the 27 club and all these rest of them are just like making connections um yeah i mean possible anyway moving on sorry um yeah i think that was really like these yeah, never mind. I think the four rockers who we highlighted really are the the core of the 27 Club. But um, it persists, and it will, and it'll come up again, and uh, people will, like like I say, people will say, aha, ah-ha. there it is. Um, because it's in people's minds now. Um, yeah. and, and we're helping to plant that seed. Yeah, people are looking for it. Mm-hmm. Um, just like they should be looking for more tales from out there beyond terrestrial. Thank you for listening to Beyond Terrestrial, all three of y'all. If you're still a fan of this show, follow Beyond Terrestrial on social media and join the Beyonders Facebook group for even more strangeness. Links to everything, including previous episodes, are available at beyondterrestrial.com. That's the place to go for stickers, merch, show swag, and our Patreon. Patrons get exclusive access to ad-free shows, giveaways, and the unedited after-show show. Anything you give to the show goes straight to Funk Master B's bachelor pad, which for now is also where these giant turkeys record this show. This show was edited by Simple Equations Media with music by Mike Root. Dan and Lee will be back next Tuesday with more from Beyond Terrestrial.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.